we are back for part two of this explosive interview. Well, actually, it's not just any interview. What is it, Carl? The Midnight Interview. That is right. It is the Midnight Interview. Thank you for that. Um, of course, we had to play that bumper at the beginning somehow. Anyway, if you missed last time, definitely recommend it. And another thing about these episodes we haven't mentioned, um, a lot of times you'll hear, especially like that last podcast, the last part one, talking about the lifeguards and, and all that. Man, it, it was a, it was so fun. If you don't hear anything from me like that last 20 minutes, it's probably because I've got my mic muted or pushed away and I'm laughing hysterically. Like, Rich just kept going because he had me in stitches. Like, I, I couldn't do I couldn't do anything. Uh, it was the best I could do not to not knock my roadcaster off in the floor, man. It was, uh, it was complete pandemonium hilarity. Uh, I think I compared it to the train in Under Siege 2. Um, but that was a really fun interview. And, and here is part two of that interview. And going into that, do you think that the viewing experience, uh, you talked about, you know, being eight scene cold check on TV and you had to tune in Friday nights. You had to watch it on Friday nights with the commercials and, you know, you had to run in the kitchen to get something to eat or get, grab a drink during commercials. And you're like, it's, it's on, it's on, you're missing it. The whistling started, you know, stuff like that. Do you think that, that that's something that's lost with today's generation or do you think that they're going to have their well, own experience or. It is, you know, every look, I, Everyone ends up having their own experiences, and and it's it's obviously it's so much a, a part of the charm of it. I mean, you know, people, Robert, you know, you know, people our age, we're at that stage now where we wax nostalgic about radio. You know, no, I talked yep. talk to my friends about radio. It's just like radio was a thing. You would listen to the radio in the car, and then you'd get out of your car, you know, in front of the high school, and it's like. Everyone had just heard the same song, you know, on K-Rock or whatever. That was a thing that united people. And, and, and television was great in that way, in that it's like you, you knew, like you would go to school on a, on a Wednesday. And, you know, maybe Wednesday was a sucky day because that was, you know, PE day or science or some subject you hated. But that was okay because Wednesday night was Little House on the Prairie. You know, mm-hmm. or when I was in high school, you know, no matter how bad Tuesday was, the A team was on Tuesday night and then yeah. followed by Riptide and Remington Steel. So I knew I had I had my night plan, you know, and then, you know, obviously when I was little, Fridays were were the night stalker for at least a little while. So so it made it special, but but it also made it horrible because there were nights where it's like, oh, yeah, we're we have to go pick up your grandparents at the airport. You're not going to see the night stalker. And there was no, that was like, this is the the last episode ever. And I'm not going to see it yeah. because I have to go with my parents to go to the airport. And, and that's it. I mean, you know, sucks to be me. Th- 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 there's no other way to see it. There will never be yeah. another, it did not rerun. Again, like I said, it was years before suddenly I discovered it was on at 1130 on Friday nights on CBS. And, and I could, you know, by then I was in eighth grade and I had to stay up really late to watch it, which again was great. It was this whole ritual that led to all kinds of weird things, but I don't know. I kind of think it's better now. It's like, let young people just drench themselves in the stories they love, whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars or 
or whatever, you know, shadow and bone now, whatever it is. And, and, and maybe what we'll get is more writers. And, and yeah. that, that's a world I want to be in, a world where kids are growing up to be writers and artists and filmmakers, and, and they don't feel their only option is, is you know, uh, to, to be a, a, a lawyer. Uh, they, they, can, they can do other things that, that, might, that might speak to something in their soul more than, more than uh, perhaps another job. Uh, b- because ultimately, look, we're all we're all headed to the same grave. We're all yeah. talking about these monsters and shit. And what we're not talking about is the fact that we're just here for a while, and we're only here this time in this incarnation, one time. Mm-hmm. And and as you get older, it's like, yeah, do a podcast. Why not do a podcast if it's about something you love? That's time well spent. Yeah, e- even if it is about dark shadows. You know what? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I will say this, but I, I, you know, because, and and it's something that I think uh, culture fans understand now that we didn't. Like, it was not okay to say you loved the Night Stalker because the Night Stalker was not, even even when, like, when I was in film school, it was not something I would have talked about because it wasn't Spielberg or Scorsese. And, and, And a lot of us grew up with this sort of elitism where it's like, well, there's good stuff and then there's the shitty stuff, but blah, 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 blah. But that shitty stuff, that's the stuff that inspired us. You know, God bless the New York Times book review, but, you know, they love Stephen King now. They did not love Stephen King no. in the 70s and the 80s when I was reading. That was, you know, if you read yeah. Stephen King, that was a lot of shit. And I couldn't figure it out because I'm like, this is, these books are, 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 again, speaking to something in me and teaching me about writing. But but it's like well you don't talk about that you 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 talk about you know the you know the 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 good writers, and now there's no distinction. Thank God, people are like, you know that crappy show. It speaks to me, and, and it, because it speaks to everybody, and and I I get the feeling that fans now are are being unshackled from a a discussion about that movie wasn't well made, that movie's garbage, and this movie is art. And now people are just discussing what they care about and whether it succeeds in moving them or telling a story in a way that compels them, whether it's considered the, 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 you know, the, 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 the most sophisticated Breaking Bad or whether it's something that's considered, oh, well, this is just you know, kind of you know, whatever TV, but, but they're, they're spoken of in the same breath because we yeah. care about them equally. And the same people care about those same ones. The people who love the highbrow stuff love the lowbrow stuff because they love the stuff. Yes. And that means we can all be part of that conversation and no one has to be embarrassed. And that's where we should be. And that's why, why I will, I'll do every Kolshak podcast uh, because it, it meant something to me and it, it, it changed me and it changed my life. And if, if, you know, if, if the costumes for the monsters weren't that great, that didn't make any difference to me. Chopper. <laughs> Chopper. <laughs> That's mine. That's the fun conversation that you can have now. And Bradley, as you get into these later episodes, yeah. because it's easy. Like, like when you ask people their top five Shack episodes, three of them are always going to be the same ones. You one know? of the hots and, and one I've heard. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, bad medicine is great. Um, and then, and, but then, but then if you just divide the 20 episodes and you're like, okay, well, let's just make it easy. T- 
top 10, bottom 10. Yeah. And then just talk about the bottom 10 and just go, okay, now the bottom 10, what's the bottom five and why, mm-hmm. why? Like, what is it you don't like about this episode? Because then, then you, people will argue furiously yeah. about which one is the actual worst episode. And those are, those are informative discussions. Those are informative fights because they reveal your inner aesthetic as much as you arguing about the best movie ever made. You can argue about this other stuff because everything you consume and have an opinion about sharpens that weird invisible organ in the middle of your body that is your aesthetic and that is the thing that is your filter for 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 what what you love and 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 what stays with you and what just passes through and and you don't care about so yeah that i i i'm all for it yeah and and that's that's another thing though you know sometimes you get introduced to stuff did you have any siblings you know one older brother yeah yeah so it's cool like if your older brother finds you know gives you something like oh my older brother loves this you know so i like it but there's like something different to finding something on your own and you know maybe at the like you know talking about the record store you go to that back corner of the record store and you see this cover and you flip it over and you're like i don't know what is this i've never seen this and that's how I, I discovered the doors that way. I, my mom went to an antique store uh, and uh, I just found this, this CD. It was like best of the doors. It was scratched up. And I thought, man, this, this guy, Jim Morrison, I, I need to take this home, man. I need to take this home. So that's how I discovered it. I discovered it my home. My parents never listened to the doors. I grew up with like bluegrass. Oh, really? And, yeah. Which I noticed that you had some, I don't know if, who did this, but Ralph Stanley, a Ralph Stanley song was in the Connor episode of uh, Superman. He was, I think one of the Lex Luthor's uh, dad was planted on his porch. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Which, sure. Which coming from the South, you know, I, I'm going to catch that. I don't know because I grew up, my grandpa was big into bluegrass. We used to travel and go to nursing homes and we'd play for these people. And, and I got a lot of joy out of that. Um, but you know, discovering something on your own, there's nothing. Like oh, that's cool. It. You know, there's nothing like discovering it. Cause I remember, you know, I, my mom showed me Mothman prophecies. I told you about that. That was like the first sort of horror movie type movie I ever saw. And it was like the, I mean, it was definitely scary, but then I remember her saying, you know, now we're going to, we'll watch Halloween, which I watched the TV cut of everything. We were a Christian household growing up. So, so everything was the TV version. So, you know, I was like, wow. And then in the eighth grade, I go over to my friend's house and I watched like nightmare on Elm street on, on VHS, I'm like, what is this? They can show this? What? <laughs> and like, That's oh, great. You know. Wait a second. No, no, okay, wait, can I ask you? So your mom, okay, so what you're telling me is you grew up in a Christian household. Your mom yeah. is very Christian, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. She, well, she, so she grew up in a, she grew up in an even more Christian household. And, and then, so, you know, we were Christian and yeah, I'm so sorry. But she was, but she showed you Mothman prophecies. Like she watched that movie, and there was something in that 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 spoke to her. So she is also into like the paranormal, the cryptid. She's she's the type to go outside with a video camera, and she said, "See that orb, that orb right there in the sky. It's moving erratically, and we'll video it." You know, and we. Oh, that's to, cool. We used to watch Beyond Belief, uh, fact or fiction. That was always a fun one. Or, or you know, I know your generation had In Search of. Ours was uh, what was that or. Or uh, unsolved mystery I used to watch that all the time, and it was just right. that, that she was into, and and I think that was going back to her love of the Twilight Zone that sort of spilled over into all this other stuff, and she really loved the scary movies, but it was always the the made for TV versions we watched, you know, 
Um, well, that's cool. Well, and and clearly for her, there was no conflict between, you know, going to church on Sunday and then in and but then also entertaining the notion that there were also other things out there. I mean, there was not because there for for some there was a conflict. You yes, know, it's, 100%, yeah. Like you know, things are it's sort of light and dark, and you're either it's in one group or it's in the other group. In fact. That was the fun part. That's what Miracles was about. Miracles was about mm-hmm. a character who who was raised, you know, sort of in that culture where it's like if there if there is a supernatural event, it's either good or evil, God or devil. So that's what it's going to be. And um, and then he ends up uh, has a, you know, has a strange experience as he's investigating miracles for the church and ultimately then leaves the church. Uh, and 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 decides I, I want to know what happened to me, but but the church isn't really interested. They they don't want to hear about it. You know, yeah. it does not it doesn't further you know sort of their their you know their agenda. their yeah. their their agenda and their you know whatever that whatever that is. So I need to go find out what that is. And and then he teams up with a guy who who only who only looks at phenomenon and doesn't judge anything. It's just like every everything is phenomena mm-hmm. you know ufo ghost whatever it is i'm not interested if it's good or bad i don't assign meaning to it because i don't know what it is how could i even assign meaning to it and that's very frustrating for skeet ulrich's character because it's like well because everything that happens has meaning it's like well does it and so so it's not a story about a, a believer and a skeptic it's about two believers but one of them thinks this stuff has to mean something and the other one is like it does a shark isn't evil just because it bites your leg off. Sucks for you, but that don't make the shark evil, does yeah. it? You know, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I guess not. Because it's so evil. anyway. That's yeah. That's no. what that's what miracles was about. But it's about that thing, and I and I and I and I I like and and I and I have respect for people who who on the one hand are raised in a a, a culture of organized religion, but at the same time as an individual can ask bigger questions and not be afraid of what those answers might be. And and I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So miracles, Uh, I've been trying to find that to stream Where is there a place to watch that? It doesn't stream anywhere right now. The only way you can see it is to buy the DVDs on Amazon. Okay. So, so I would, I would recommend that everyone buy miracles on DVD miracles, the complete series starring Skeet Ulrich. Um, it's really good. If you like Mothman, you'll like miracles, which, yeah, Hey, you really know, fun. it sounds like somebody needs to cut you a check from Paramount plus because me and Robert have been podcasting about evil. And I don't know if you've seen any of it, <laughs> but like, I keep hearing people tell me, Hey, they're doing your show. Only now it's called evil <laughs> because no, it literally serious. Is, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you got the skeptic, you know, the skeptic, she's sort of in the middle. She's like, then you got the, the holy man who's going to be a priest. And then you've got the guy who's like completely out of it. He's an IT guy. He's going to try to find everything else. And every episode, it's yeah. like you sort of like they'll have an episode where this person's possessed and he'll say, oh, here's your problem right here. But then there'll be one element of it. You're like, that doesn't really solve it. But then the Catholic church is like, <laughs> oh, we've, we've solved it ourselves. Or like there was one where they're like, this woman died. I'm going to go ahead and ruin this whole episode. So I'm sorry for anybody. <laughs> I know I shouldn't do this. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. spoiler. So there's this girl who she dies on a soccer field and they're like, 
you know, she came back after, you know, when they were doing the autopsy, like how long and 177 minutes later, that's the title episode. So she comes back to life after that. Then, and, but in the, in the video, when you see it, there's like an angel for six frames and like, how is this angel in the frame? Well, they do all this, they do all this study and then they're trying to figure out, well, she came back to life. It's a miracle. And they dig and they dig and they find out basically their conclusion is that this hospital has racist tendencies and they have performed life saving procedures a lot longer on, uh, you know, Caucasian individuals than they do on, you know, African-Americans or people of color. And that was part of the reason is they declared her dead, but she might probably wasn't fully dead because they didn't do the life saving procedures as long as they would on somebody who wouldn't person of color. But then at the end, they come to the Catholic church and they show them this and that here's our findings. And we found this video, you know, the six frames of an angel. And they're like, well, we're not worried about that. We solved the problem we wanted to, you know, we we're going to yeah. do the next thing because it's not a part of their, what they need, you know, their agenda. They just needed to solve that problem. They're getting paid to solve that problem. They solve that problem. An angel ain't their work. Well, I mean, it sounds very cool. You know, I, um, I, I laugh because obviously look, the, the these subjects and these questions are not the domain of any single show or person or yeah. TV series. It's like, and if, and it sounds like they've, they've got a, they've got their own approach and cast of characters and, 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 and this, and these stories and subjects are still so worth delving into from all kinds of angles. As, to me, as long as it, it sort of ends on a question then we're we're all good we're all we're yeah. all playing for the same team because because there's the you know there's the like you know in, in the world of you know ufos we've been hearing about there's yeah. the believers you know they, they, these are aliens finally disclosure and then debunkers not even skeptics debunkers they call themselves skeptics but they're not they're there to make everyone shut up and move on and they're like nothing going on. This is just totally misunderstood natural swamp phenomenon. Gas. Yeah, <laughs> swamp gas, and you know, and, and that goes for everything. I mean, you've yeah. got you've got you you know the the church on one hand and James Randi on the other, and blah blah blah. And I'm not I'm not thrilled with either one of them because they these are institutions and philosophies that that basically are pinned on the notion that we know the answer before the question is even asked. Yes, it's already been answered. It's nothing or it is something, and here is exactly what it is. So what I find the most the most entertaining and the most philosophically honest for me position is the one right in the middle, the Fortean, you know, the Charles Fort, you know, belief is the enemy. You know, do not do not do disbelief and belief on two sides. I already know what this is. No, I know what it is just keep asking the question because when you walk that middle path and you really ask the legitimate questions and you don't deny the evidence of the, of the witnesses and you don't rush to classify what they experienced beyond what they say they experienced, you will find yourself in a state of perpetual mystery. And if that isn't the most honest way to live your life, this life that we cannot understand at its most basic, we cannot understand why we are here and where we're going. If you can walk that path, which is uncomfortable, it ultimately is the most 
philosophically and intellectually and emotionally robust path you can walk because there's always road in front of you. We're going we're gonna to take a segment of that and put it in our other podcast that's called the Truth or Politics podcast, where Bradley and I come in as, as moderates. We actually have this, and we, we, we are the moderates, and, and I have said this multiple times, is that what you just described is science. You know, science is ever-changing, ever-investigating. It is, it is non-committal to any doctrine, dogma, or whatever, at, at least when it's in its purest form. And I, yeah. I think that is that is the true path of a scientist or at least in my case, an agnostic. You know, I would never now, say I'm an atheist. I would never say that I'm right. a full out devout Christian. But at the same time, I'm, I'm willing to um, look at look at everything from both sides and, and, and say, I don't really know the answer to that. And, and right. believe it or not, I mean, that's been that's been my claim to fame at work. A lot of times it's like I say, good. well, this this is. What I know about exercise science, this is what somebody else says, this is the research, and, and here's the clinical application. So what do we really know? We only know so-and-so. Right. And, and you know, science is a method, but, but in, the, in, the way, in, in the way humans do, it becomes, it becomes a culture. And, and then that culture has certain practices and approaches and, and one of those is that um, that that science is a tool that has been enormously effective in, in the last you know two three hundred years in propelling our species forward, and and it has that makes some people feel that it is ultimately the only tool we have, and. It is a tool that will eventually be applicable to every single thing. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that science is the tool to explain every aspect of human experience. I think it can do some, but it can't do all, especially in matters of the you know heart, spirit, soul, emotions. Then you're getting into the softer sciences like you know psychology, which a lot of scientists think is is big a pile of bullshit is, is astrology. They're like, there is absolutely no proof that, uh, that uh, psychotherapy does anything for anyone. It's, uh, it's self-hypnosis. People get better on their own and sitting in a therapist's office uh, cannot be proven to do anything for you. Um, so, so they're even, you know, science against the sciences to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. um, always. I've always been interested in parapsychology, but also I've always sort of felt like I don't know if parapsychology is ever going to work. Parapsychology always feels like a square peg trying to pound itself into a round hole. You know, maybe trying to take the study of, of these certain things and, 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 and drag them kicking and screaming into a laboratory. It hasn't proved super effective in proving or disproving the phenomenon. So, so maybe that can't be the end goal. And maybe, maybe, you know, there's a reason it's called parapsychology, not parabiology or paraphysics or paraphysiology. It's parapsychology. And, and once you're into the realm of psychology, yeah, the, the borders are fuzzy. Well, I apologize for missing um, the, the beginnings of, of those conversations and those thoughts. 
Um, and if you may have noticed, I did have a dog up here for a little while that I was uh, kissing. You're going to give me something I missed. I'm going to give you this picture. Thank Look you. Look at this. What the hell is this? Colbeck is pushing his car down the street. I don't read. This was never in a movie. No, it this wasn't. Was never in an episode of TV. But is that man, is, is that the Mustang? Better? That's the Mustang. Yeah. Now it's from. I mean, it 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 it. It's a convertible, and we see him ride in the convertible in the show. And here, the top is up clearly. But uh, yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. Huh. Another huh. another yeah. picture. And I think if Shack proves anything, it's that real men drive yellow cars. I mean, that's the only thing. The only thing there is. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Question I had, Rich, did I read somewhere that you had worked with Glenn Mazzara, who was involved oh, yeah. with The Walking Dead? What 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 project was that on, or have there been multiple projects that you worked on with him? Just the one, uh, Damien, the show based right. on the Right, right. So how much are you aware of the first couple seasons of The Walking Dead and, and his not, involvement I, with that? Well, I, that is that is that I unknown to me. So what yeah, do you got? I, I'll, I'll just say that I think as a original Walking Dead fan, and honestly, my life just got too complicated for me to be able to watch the last few seasons. And, you know, there there is a Kentucky connection to The Walking Dead. And the author, um, uh, the name escapes me now, but um, the guy, uh, Kirkman, who who came up with it is from Cynthiana, Kentucky, which is a little town. And, and it actually, the, the comic is set in Kentucky originally. And he does go to Atlanta to the CDC and all these type of things. But I, I think that show, the first couple seasons that it had Mazzara in it, um, really established like the heart and soul of that show and, and was a great um, uh, extension of one of Bradley's favorite movies by George A. Romero, um, known as The Night of the Living Dead. Never heard of it. Still, still don't know about that either. Well, just no. go back in time. Watch that. It's good. I'll see if I can find it maybe on, you know, some, you know, foreign disc or something. You might've heard since you're such a Shaun of the dead fan, you might've heard the, the line by Nick Frost coming up with her plan. That is a slice of fried gold, which is we're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> I'm dude. I'm, I am all about Shaun of the dead. Every single scene, every quote It's so good. Uh, that, that honestly, that, that is like my favorite movie of all time. Oh, there's nice. nothing. There's the only one that's close and it goes back and forth is uh, Bill Murray's Razor's Edge. Those two movies. Yeah, I know. Really? Oh, I love That's it. That's weird. I have never, I've never seen Bill Murray's Razor's Edge, nor have I ever oh, heard anyone you need talk to. about it, really. Oh, really? yeah. Right. No, you really need to. It's You know, Murray, Murray did Ghostbusters, essentially, so he could do Razor's Edge. And, yeah. and I think he, he suffered from some depression for a long time. There's some youtube um video about him talking about he found the chicago um museum of art or something like that when he was in a really depressed state and i think he was like planning on going to lake michigan and jumping in and drowning himself is the way that they talked about it. and this is pre saturday night live he still was i think working clubs and was doing the the, the thing he did with the um uh the, the pre-acting before saturday night live but um he, yeah. So the the novel, and which was done, um, or you know, back in the '40s, I guess, in, in terms of the movie, but it's 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 very philosophical. I mean, it's it, it the journey that he takes 
is is a journey of a man who is uh i guess it's world war one and um he's so disen he's so disenchanted with the world and all the the horror and the violence he has seen and he has to seek for himself uh the answers so he goes on this quest of knowledge and he is able to um do this in all these different spots of the world and uh, so for for me seeing that right at the time that I was going to go to college just made a huge in, impression on me and I'm like man I have to do everything I mean this this is what Bill Murray did and it, it bombed because he still had to be Bill Murray in some scenes and had to be kind of funny and there is some comedy in it but it still is very touching uh scene with his brother um that that they do and his brother plays a scene where he dies and it's such a great movie I love it. Absolutely. But anywho, anywho, highly, highly recommend it. Now, have I read cool. the book by Somerset mom? No, I haven't read the book from that. So I've only been into the movie, but I was really curious what you thought about Mazera. Um, and I, I would recommend the first couple of seasons of walking dead. It, it's, it's really kind of almost beautiful um, the, the way that they do it, but then they, they didn't like the direction and Mazera was out. And they oh, yeah. brought in they brought in somebody else and it sort of changed, but I think it all had to do with they stayed on this farm for a whole entire season and people got fed up with it. They wanted more action and killing and whatever. Well, but anyway. You know, I mean there's 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 a lot that can be said. I, I don't know and I've never I've never talked to Glenn about that experience. So I, I, I unfortunately can't provide any insight to that. The the brief amount of time we crossed paths was on the show Damien. And my experience there was was really great. Here's what was interesting to me about Glenn was that, you know, before being, uh, you know, working in television and being a TV writer and uh, writer in general, he worked uh, in a hospital administration. Oh, really? And um, and he's done shows that that have reflected this and worked on shows. And and he. um and so he he like had this whole other life where he was doing a different thing that was not Hollywood, not about writing and you know zombies or whatever, and um, and then he sort of in a weird way brought those practices to his show running when he was hmm. doing television, uh, uh, notions of of uh, delegating tasks and and you know keeping people informed and, you know, sort of bringing in all voices. There was a point in Damien, and I've never seen this done before, where we had, we completed a handful of episodes and the studio weighed in, the network weighed in, and there were problems. So just people weren't loving every moment of it, but it was a little bit hard to, is it, is it a performance or is it a, the direction or the writing or the the you know the way we're shooting it the tone the something what is it what's what's wrong here so glenn brought in the writing staff and then and then he brought in the editorial staff all of post production and then he brought all the department heads and he got everybody in the same room and he's like okay we've all seen the first handful of episodes now let's just talk about them. And this is free flowing. I want to hear what people like, what people don't like, but mostly I want to hear what people don't like. And he was basically giving everyone carte blanche to, to say things that you are typically not allowed to say on a show to your boss. 
Now, I was there on a week-to-week short-term contract. I knew I was going to be gone. I was going to come in, mm-hmm. write one episode, help them break a few others, and then I had a drop-dead date where I was out. So I'm like, okay, I risk nothing now by just speaking my mind. So I was one of the people, and I was not the only one, as it turns out, who said, well, I think I, I think one of our problems is we're doing this and not that. And you know, these scenes come across really great, but then others just aren't selling it. And there's confusion, and people were speaking up. And Glenn was listening to all of it and taking all of it in. I wasn't there long enough to see if there were tangible results from that meeting. But the fact that the meeting took place was miraculous, because that just does not happen in television. Typically, a showrunner, for better or worse, usually worse, uh, collapses in on themselves. And, and they, they, they retreat to a place of, okay, everyone shut up. I need to go into my drone bunker and figure out what's wrong with this show. And then I alone can fix it. <laughs> I will be the one. And, and we all know how that goes. So... Um, so I was I was really impressed with that. He'll tell stories and he's the nicest, most generous man. And he'll tell, he's got his own stories about the script that I wrote that I'm not going to go into. But my time there was wonderful. The people who I worked with were fantastic. I'm friends with many of them to this very day. And Glenn and I still bump into each other on Twitter and shout out to each other. And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it, it was all good. That's beautiful. I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I want to say that one of the characters in The Walking Dead, and I don't know if someone else brought this up or not, but I always thought it from what I'd read about Mazera, represented Mazera's perspective. And it was a character who was in, you know, we've never met, Rich. <laughs> you and I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Um, yeah. But just like you said, uh, Hamlet for Mark DeWidziak, um, this this character um, wanted everybody to be cooperative. He wanted everyone to have meetings and ta- and discuss what's happening. And there were pivotal scenes when they talk about killing people or not killing people or letting people in that are just fantastic scenes about, you know, statements on society and what we should do. And it was all this group sharing. And that sounds exactly like what you talked about, what Mazera did from his, his administrative background. And uh, man, that's, I'm so glad I asked that question. Bradley, do you have another, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that that may very well be what his intention was. So that's cool. That's great. What, whatever it was, who knows, you know, what muse, you know, put that out or could have been someone else taking his, his ideas and and sharing and then putting that into the story. I, I'm not really sure how that goes, but Bradley, do you have another question before I ask Rich another one? No, you can go ahead. Are you are you about to split? Dude, I am revived. You're revived. <laughs> I am revived. I got to go outside, walk the dogs, watch them do their business. Um, I got little kisses from my big crazy dog Cooper who came up here. I've gotten some water. I went to the bathroom. I, I told Bradley, it's like, look, Bradley, if I go past 1 a.m. my time, it's going to seriously affect my health. I can't do it. Don't go too long. I got to leave. I gave him all these like, you know, marching orders. Well, of course, now I don't want to go at all because I'm, I'm psyched. I'm into all this. So Wait, no, it, I'm what, good. what time is it where you are right now? So it is 125. Oh, 
shit. Okay, we we will not go much longer. No, it's cool. I mean, honestly, I'm For good. For me, it's it's it's, it's ten twenty five, and I'm about ready to collapse on the floor of my office. I'm good. Me. I'm good, man. I'm I, up. I, I haven't I haven't watched a dog take a shit on some grass, so I haven't been revived. It's it's a beautiful scene, man. It's a beautiful scene. They cleared their bowels. I work in a hospital. I know how important that is for people, especially like spinal cord rehab. You get them to stand, and now all of a sudden they get to go take a natural dump. So it's it's a wonderful thing. Okay, so here here's my other thought. Um, have you ever thought about the a comparison comparison between Jaws? And the first Kolchak movie, or even Kolchak itself, and in that, you in that you have the the struggle with the city, and especially with the Vegas and the the um, tourist culture, how similar that is to Jaws, and I don't know which one came first. Was it Jeff Rice's story? Was it the Jaws story? I've seen some interviews with Benchley, which have blown my mind because he was a Washington, D.C. reporter and actually spent time with with LBJ. And I mean, this guy has sort of an amazing pre-life, let's say, to the writing also. But had you ever thought about a comparison between Jaws and the Night Stalker? And there's there's a lot of movies uh, of that era that that have that sort of layer of bureaucratic disingenuousness. Yeah. And, and you know every you know there's the, the the problem can only be solved by people who diagnose what the problem is accurately and without fear and approach it head on. And anyone who tries to obfuscate or tries to uh, mitigate or, or, you know, work their way around or, or compromise. Well, we'll get away with one weekend without any problems. Those are the people who are the villains of the case. Right. The right. ones who, who know that there is a problem out there, but won't admit it. Yeah. And they will let other people die to support their version of normal society. Yep. And Which, that exists for sure in Jaws and for sure in uh, The Night Stalker. And, um, and, and there's even a little bit of, there's a, there's a movie called Roller Coaster, which is one of my favorites with. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. I've got. Uh, yes. Here on my wall. I've got. No. The and, uh, nice. With Timothy Bottoms. There's a whole story behind that, but, but I'll tell you that. Uh, that, that that that's another movie with a with uh, I mean George Siegel practically dresses like Kolshak. He's wearing a a light blue. Year. Yeah, I remember that. It's like Kolshak. Yeah. But anyway, that's a great movie. That's a great Fourth of July movie. So again, anyone within the sound of my voice, uh, watch Roller Coaster from 1977 this Fourth of July weekend, and you'll have the time of your life. So do you do you think we can draw a you know a crooked line? to things like Earthquake and The Towering Inferno and all these other disaster movies, because I think the backdrop for a lot of this was they just didn't build the, 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 the you know, the tower as well as they should have, or the, or the Poseidon adventure. Um, now, even though the Poseidon adventure, I don't know what the back, the backstory was with all that other than just, you know, Gene Hackman hanging from a, a rafter and cursing God. I'm not sure what else was going on there. My, my my wife always says, look, if, if there's ever a disaster, follow Gene Hackman. <laughs> yes, there's no doubt, man. I love Gene Hackman. I do. No, but uh, 
So, you know, I think that I was looked it up and I was, I wasn't sure, but eventually I'm pretty sure because I did a podcast on Jaws, ironically enough, in relation to Stranger Things, uh, because Jaws and Stranger Things are exactly like the first season of Jaws and Stranger, which that's a whole nother conversation. Like I did a whole podcast on that, how the deaths line up. If you put the timelines and you shrink the timeline, of it, it's a lot, but th- there's the same number of deaths. Uh, you see the Demogorgon the same number of times as you do the shark. Uh, it's it's just a long, st- a long story. But Benchley wrote it, I think he shopped it around for a few months, and then he wrote it like within a year. Uh, and it came out in 74, so he'd wrote it in 73. And when did Jeff Rice write the novel? It had to have been 70? Or 71, 70 or 71, I would think. Yeah. Right, Rich? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, that that's like saying, you know, which, you know, it's like, well, which came first, you know, Die Hard on the Siege or Air Force One. It's like, yeah, you, you get you get into these little clumps of, of narrative structures that 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 carry through and that are meaningful at that time. And um, and and again, you know, late 60s, there were there were paranoid films about distrusting government and then into the right. 70s for sure. And um and and so so the fact that that you've got certain of these elements plus all these people you know they're this is the business they work in you know benchley knew the night stalker yeah he, he just did it's like people know no one is working in a vacuum you can live in a vacuum but if you're working if you're working in the business you're not in a vacuum you are aware of everything that's going on and you're interacting with it so you're doing it's like, well, our show is like this, but it's different making it this, you know? And then a third show comes out and it's like, well, if you got this and this, we'll be here or over here. But everyone's aware of what everyone's doing and how they're going to sort of riff on that tune, but give it their own spin. And that's, you know, that that's certainly the world we're living in now. Yeah, and I think that brings it full circle. Man, Rich, I have a bevy of notes still here about supernatural twilight zone uh i've got a lot i I freaking love dc titans i would love to talk i could talk dc titans for three more hours um well you guys know i'm i'm happy to come back anytime uh anytime you want me i've got all these pictures from spanish moss murders but i want to show you because you haven't seen that episode just just hip them to at least one of them let them see no, oh, that's that's awesome. You got my How nice is that? That's it's, Sam Spade right there. Yeah, this is just you know noir Kolshak. Oh yeah. It, have you heard this rumor that he was wearing a toupee? Ooh, no. So, someone someone just said that. I'm like, I don't think he. And they're like, they they said they called it the Kirk, you know, from from Shatner uh, his days. Of they everyone wanted to say that that Shatner wore a toupee on. Um, on uh star star trek but i just saw someone mention that and i was like his hair is pretty thin in some scenes but i don't think it's ever thick you know that you would think yeah i mean that that is a thinning hairline coming (laughs) coming coming from this guy (laughs) that is a thinning hairline but that's pretty much how it looked on the show right yeah the show had like you know more hair than that Mm -mm. No, I I think that was a little erroneous. Yeah. Um, as as you're showing, keep keep showing pictures, because I'm going to tell you this bizarre story of the way that I learned about the Mothman the very first time. Now yeah. the Mothman came back into my life because Bradley in our first episode 
when we were talking about the way that we go ahead and show that. Oh yeah. This is from the Spanish Moss Murders. There is no scene in the show where they're all smiling. No. The guy in between the woman and Kolshak uh, is not in the episode. That's a executive of some sort. That looks now, Br Bradley, do you recognize the person next to Kolshak? Next to McGavin? Which one? The, uh, this, this guy. Yeah, that guy. Do you recognize him? Should I? He is the actor that is in Daryl's very favorite Twilight Zone episode. He he plays the writer yeah. in in that oh, episode. Oh, nice! Yeah, Keenan Wynn. Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, so I sat next to a guy and when I was doing this training for a job that I was doing, and he and we we had three of us had this just wonderful nerd rapport that we just as we were doing our computer work, it just was like nonstop the, the little chatter that we would have. Um, and, and things that we would talk about. And this one particular guy was obsessed with the Mothman, just obsessed. And, and honestly, he was so obsessed with it. I barely listened to a word he ever said when, when he would talk about it, cause he would just go on and on and on and on. But then it became almost like a little joke because the, the two of us, the other, the other two started making fun of him. And, and then this thing was like, yeah, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, what I'm going to do, my wife's goal is I'm going to capture the Mothman and chain him up in my basement. And I'm going to, I thought that's kind of strange sounding. And the next thing he said was, well, and I think when I do that, I'm going to get Bigfoot and I want to have the Bigfoot and the Mothman in my basement. I'm going to have a castle where I can keep him in my dungeon. And so this was, this was my strange, you know, thing to the mothman then when bradley starts talking about the mothman to me a couple of years ago i get this image of this this guy and talking about that i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about like what i've got to see this at some point so i did i rented the movie i got to the script and and i do i love it i, I think it's fantastic um the disappointed that you never actually saw a mothman you know sort of fighting richard gear no I was okay because I'd already, I, I'd had seen enough in my research of just kind of like wanting to read about it where people were upset that this wasn't exactly like the book that was written there or, and then, and then it was the, and I'd say what, what actually prepared me for it is, um, I can't make this long story short, but my, my wife has done a couple Boston marathons. And when the bombing happened in Boston, we were never hurt. None of our friends were ever hurt. But the second bomb that went off that was furthest away from the finish is a place that I always stood when I watched her. I knew it intimately because that's where you, you have to kind of like find your perfect spot to be able to get a photograph, you know, after three and a half hours when you're just expecting your person, your, your wife to come through. And anyway, um, how am I tracking that bombing to this? completely lost my train of thought it would have to do, like you know tragedies happening out in real life i don't know what is all related i don't know anymore it it it's yeah it's it's lost it doesn't really matter but um <laughs> okay it's gone so, man so i can't I'll, think I'll, of it say bradley ask him one more of your questions and i get one more after that and he's the one who chides me before saying we can't go long. We can't oh, go long. I didn't even chide you. I mean, it, it, it was going to be darn downright violent. <laughs> you know, I was going to tell you, just shut up. 
shut up. But no, no, this is good. If you if you don't have anything else, I got one more, and hopefully I won't space out when I'm saying it. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So going back to Titans, I'm just going to ask this question because we're all over the map here. What's it like working with Jeff Johns? Uh, like, you know, you talked about in high school, man, he was like, I love the Green Lantern run he did. He did. He made, I loved Aquaman as a kid. He made Aquaman a badass. Love that. What's it like working with him, writing with him? Because y'all have some episodes that you wrote together there that you both have writing credits on. Yeah, he, um, well, it was interesting because when I joined the show, when, when it was starting, you know, I didn't know him. So we met, you know, just in those early days, four years ago, just about four years ago in the writer's room. And uh, he and Akiva Goldsman, who had written the pilot, were, were in the room with us. And they were sort of, you know, sort of informing us with everything that they were thinking about when they wrote the pilot. They weren't going to be there every day. They weren't going to write every episode, but but they had thoughts about where the season could go, and they, and they were just sort of there to kind of like, well, here's what we think this show is about, and 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 to you know feed those conversations, yeah. and it was great. Um, Jeff Johns and I ended up writing an episode that ultimately was filmed and then never aired, and it was the third episode yeah. of the season um, that focused. It was sort of a flashback episode for Starfire. And, and, and filled in some of the things that happened to her coming to earth, losing her memory and, and then leading up to finding Rachel. And so we were sort of, we were sort of tracking that story a little bit. And the, and the structure of the season was going to be sort of taking a lot of side journeys off the main, you know, yeah. arc of plot to fill in, okay, while well, that's happening, what's Gar doing? Okay. Well, what, what was Rachel doing? You know, and sort of filling in individual characters anyway. So he and I started working together on this episode. And so at that point I was very much like, okay, well, you're, you're the man. So you tell me. And, and he, and he very quickly, you know, his idea of breaking an episode is, okay, here's six important moments I want in the episode, go write it. Now, for most people, this is not a broken episode. This is like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, I need, I need 25 note cards that each one leading into the next that take me scene to scene to scene. But his thing was kind of vague. And I'm like, you know what? It's episode three of a new show. Again, I don't have anything to lose. So I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna dive right in and just start writing. So I did. And he loved it. He was like, this is great. And and very quickly he was like, I really like working with you. This is great. And and you know, I would hand the pages back to him and then he would do his stuff. And at a certain point, the story had to change pretty dramatically. And then he took it over at that point and, and changed things. And, and, but, but we had a really good time and, and I, you know, obviously I trusted him, but the great gift was that he trusted me. And, and as a writer, that's what you want. You don't want another voice in your head while you're writing going, Oh, but he's going to get mad if I write that. He basically said, do it, go nuts, go running through the field of the story and and more often than not you're going to hit all the beats i want and that the audience needs and so that's what i did and then sure enough that's how it went so as we went through that first season he and i worked together a lot and and became friends and and really had a great time pretty soon after the first season he went off to work on star girl um yeah. and and was not around every day uh as i was telling bradley 
he he definitely had some very key things to say about the Connor Kent episode that I wrote that um, that we both ended up loving. And the actor Joshua Orpin is just the perfect Superboy. Yes. I mean, he was born to be Superboy. And he's the nicest guy in the world. And it was miraculous that we found this. Our casting on that show, uh, you know, um, oh, Ryan yeah. Potter, who plays Gar, Tegan Croft, who plays Rachel, uh, Anna Diop as Starfire, Brenton Thwaites as as Nightwing now, Dick Grayson. I mean, you, you, you can't do any better than that. And then when you go down the line, you're doing Connor Leslie as Donna Troy and Joshua Orpin, and then Curran Walters as Jason Todd. And now in, in season three, you've got, uh, you're going to see Jay Lysergo playing Tim Drake. These are the stars of tomorrow. These guys, I mean, there, there is no one more charismatic than the people we get on this show. They're really great. And, you know, not to mention Hawk and Dove and, you know, the actor who plays Hawk is now going to be playing Jack Reacher yeah. in a, a new mm. show. I mean, it, these are just, we have been blessed with an amazing cast. So anyway, yeah, but um, that aside, uh, working with Jeff was a blast. He, like I said, he's now doing Stargirl, so we don't get to work together as much, but we did co-write the first episode of season three. So we do have yeah. that coming up. So watch for that. Yeah. August 12th, I believe. Hey, and another thing, you know, uh, Titans is now really, it was this weekend, it's airing on TBS the first season, uh, which I think TBS turned it down the first time with it on air now, whatever. Easy. You know, I love that. Well, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll forgive you now, TBS. You're airing them now. So <laughs> if you haven't seen it, uh, Colshack style back on Friday nights, I don't know what night they're on now, but they mm -hmm. announced it. So go watch the first season. Yeah. Check it out. If it's on TBS, check it out there. And if you have cable, check it out on HBO Max. You can see all of season one and all of season two. And you've got plenty of time to, to watch before uh, season three rolls out. I mean, now's the perfect time. You know, spend oh. spend July watching season one and two and then just roll right into season three. And it'll it'll just the story goes on and on. Yeah. And that's another thing, like because Titans is a good show because you follow these arcs, but then you're given time to breathe. Like that Connor episode is like. Yeah. You have this action, action, action. You get the breathing, you know, you get the story, the real true storytelling, which is, that's why we watch drama. That's why we love drama. And, and it sets it apart from, you know, anything that's, you know, I'm sure there's other shows similar, but it sets it apart from other shows because it is storytelling at its finest. And you get to see these characters you're familiar with, you know, seeing like, even like, I remember reading like Red Hood and the Outlaws and you'll see little, uh, little nuances from here and there. Uh, are you a comic reader, Rich? Did you read comics no, or anything? That's the weird part is that Jeff Johns is is so much of a comic book writer and reader and fan and creator. And I have never voluntarily opened a comic book in my life. Um, and the nice thing about Titans is you weren't required to. The, the, no, no, no. no. they like, okay, this season is based on this stack. Go read it. They were just like, we we've had these characters and we've told versions of these stories, but but we should not just tell these stories again. Like Hamlet, let's take some of the themes and the characters and and sort of do our version of it. But um but yeah, I like writing the breather episodes. I got to I got to do the Connor one, which was mm -hmm. definitely a breather. I got to do the uh, the finale of season one, oh, which was yeah. a weird alter reality episode. Phenomenal, though. Three, Phenomenal. I, I get to do, uh, I did an episode that also takes place in, in it, it's like, 
we, we do a lot of stories in Gotham City, and then and then I wrote an episode where we catch up with a few characters we haven't been following in a very particular setting, and um and and again I get to sort of create my own world. So I've been very lucky that I get to do these little vacation island episodes where I you know it's not just chapter four in between chapter three and chapter five. It's like here's a weird short story. I'm just gonna plunk right in the middle, you know. Yeah. Uh, and those are fun to write. So uh, more of those coming up. All right, Robert, before I turn it over to you, one last thing. That's okay. Uh, I remembered what I was talking about Boston, so it was all good. Okay. So <laughs> one thing that I'm excited for, and now we're just talking about Titans. So we'll split this off. We'll have a Titans podcast. I don't know. But so Titans, man, one thing I'm excited for, I love, I love Titans, love Doom Patrol, but a lot of people are, you might see, you know, and I have no information about this at all. This is something is cyborg is there a way for cyborg to loop see what i did there robert loop back around and be in titans and i think that's what everybody wants you know to see i mean that's what we want too you're you're dealing with dc and warner brothers and you're dealing with these giant uh, you know corporations conglomerates yeah that have plans for characters and things i mean we have to i mean it was it was it was even easier two three years ago than it is now because you've got coincidentally matt reeves batman movie coming up yeah so he's over there doing batman and we're doing our we're we're got our own little corner of gotham going on but anyway um we have to check in with them and we have to go hey which characters are available and they have told us i mean we we've gone to them and said can we use this no that character is spoken for there are plans for that character in a different you know area of the dc universe so no you know, but you, you can have this one, you know, you can have Barbara Gordon, but you can't have so-and-so, you know, you can have Tim Drake, but you can't have so-and-so. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. All right, great. So, so we, we take who we can use and it changes season to season. Yeah. But it, you know, in season yeah. one, there were characters we couldn't use that then we were allowed to use later. So it, it all, it switches around, but they tell us. And so uh, if, if we were allowed to use Cyborg, we would be using Cyborg. I will tell you that. But I will tell you, but it's, I mean, that's just, and, and I'm not, this is not, I understand completely the whole idea behind it. And they have him in Doom Patrol and his story arc in Doom Patrol was interesting. And I, and I love Doom Patrol, you know, and I mean, the, the it and Titans are great together uh, or, or separate, however you want to watch it. But it's just an, an inter, interesting choice that, hey, we'll let it, we'll let him be in Doom Patrol, but gotten titans and it's all up to them and 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 it's funny because doom patrol started on titans titans yeah that was a titans episode that then spun off so it's like well okay so it's sort of but when it but when it spun off then it's like well is it still in our universe but we think it is and then people are like well you should have a crossover episode and it's like hey who knows it could happen so yeah okay robert i'm sorry about that oh no not not at all man it's all good um, so the, the point to the Boston story was we were, I was going to, uh, answer to you talking about, uh, the Mothman, Rich, and was I disappointed because I didn't have the physical Mothman come and, you know, grab somebody and, and then, you know, other people being, um, unhappy because it wasn't exactly like the, the book that was written about it. So Mark Wahlberg's movie that was about the Boston Marathon bombing, um, I think on its own was quite a good movie, but 
in that one, I was very disappointed when I learned later that his character was essentially an amalgamation of all the policemen who interacted with these bombers in the hunt for them. And, and then that prepared me for the Mothman in that the stories had to be tied together the, the way that I understand it in the Mothman movie um, so that they had some, you know, uni uh, some unifying characteristics and, and really was able to tell a story because, and I think in listening to the um, Astonishing Legends podcast about the Mothman, you know, they talk about how it just, these things stretched out over time for so many different years. Right. And so that you really couldn't just throw all those, uh, that, that time span in, you'd be doing a documentary, which is a whole nother thing than doing drama. So, so I think that helped the, the Boston one prepared me for what happened in the Mothman. And when I found out about it, I was like, oh, that's okay. I can get it. And I, and, but also I love the guy who was the main actor that, um, Richard Gere interacted with whose name escapes me. Yes. Wouldn't he fantastic in that? Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah. And that's, that was very much my approach was to try to find a, a, you know, a spine and a main emotional through line. Oh, I love that spine. Yeah. Forward, you know, John Keel was never married. His wife did not die. You know, none of that stuff happened, but, but all of the themes, in this story, uh, in the book, once once he teases it all out, is a, a, a it's about a the, the Mothman Prophecies book is about John Keel kind of going crazy trying to figure out the answer to what right. is happening in Point Plus, and finally coming to the realization that there is no answer. You yeah. cannot. There will never. You cannot nail it down. There will never be a final satisfying answer. There is something about the phenomenon that will always be out of our reach. It will always be smoke in our grasp. And, and so that's what interested mm. me. And I had to figure out a way to get that idea across to start out with a guy who had very, very real, physical, tangible life problems that then were further expressed through weird metaphysical manifestations and and you know he wants to know what the mothman is and he wants to know what all the weird phone calls are and he wants to know who injured cold is but mostly he wants to know why the fuck his wife died yeah and by asking that question it's all of us asking why are we going to die and what's that all about and i think all of these things intersect all of these questions intersect when we're when we're wondering about UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot, we're wondering if our life is more than just this physical existence and if there is something more for us. <laughs> and, and it was all of that stuff that I wanted to bring to the movie. And to do that, yeah, I had to push some people together and invent things. And, but the nice thing about the book, and it was funny because Scott Philbrook always says, you know, I read the book and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, well, the movies always go way crazier than the yeah. source material. And then this movie did less. It's the exact opposite. Right. It was the exact opposite. It was like, there's the book is way weirder than the movie. And, <laughs> and, and in a way you could, the only way to approach the book is through a television show. Like you could do a cable, weird cable drama period piece with a John Keel character and Mary Heyer and all the people who are actually there. And you could, you could probably do more of the scenes that were in the book and just structure them throughout, you know, a season or two of a TV show. But um, 
but then that's very literal and and even then it's like yeah it'd be fun for the super fan but but what what more could you say by doing it that way than than you say with the movie which is at a certain point you have to turn away from that shit and re-embrace your you know what is physically with you Mm -hmm. your life the life of the people you love that are still here and 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 not question the things that have no answers yeah and i think that was one of the but so the smart the smartest thing and i don't you know don't take this as blowing smoke like this is legit uh one of the smartest things in the script is that and you didn't set it 1966 and change stuff you said i'm going to start fresh i'm going to make this modern day i'm going to change everything you know i'm going to make combined characters but you also separated heel into like three characters and sort of split him into this you know i gotta go find you know the 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 guy looking for the answers for his wife the 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 crazy loon in the trailer who you know he why is people knocking on my door you know and then the guy he has to meet to get the answers and it's all spread out and and it's like it's so uh disengaged or it's so separated from it that it's like a completely different it's pretty much like uh sort of like a modern day mothman you know sort of like a modern day even mythos of any type but uh it's just so different that even comparing them is you can compare them, but at the same time, it's its own standalone thing where, Hey, this is inspired by the Mothman, but this is, you know, this is my, this is my interpret or my vision. Or I don't even know how you'd word that. How would you want to word that? This is my, what it's like, yeah, it's like my, my, um, it, it, it's a platform upon which I was able to ask the questions and explore the subjects that I wanted to explore. Um, I was never, it was, it was never about, Ooh, Mothman's my favorite cryptid. And I'm going to find out what the Mothman really is. Cause I, you know, I don't think you're going to, I don't think you're, I don't think your buddy's going to, you know, trap Mothman in his basement any more than he's going to. Yeah. yeah I did. We, we didn't stay buddies long. <laughs> we'll, I'll throw that out there too. He, he, he was off the rails. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I, I liked it because I felt like, well, this isn't a story that a lot of people have heard about. And it, and it sounds pretty weird, but it, but but it'll allow me to talk about a bunch of stuff because so much stuff happened. So this will allow me to make my statement about the paranormal in general, not just the Mothman of Point Pleasant specifically. And yeah, that was yeah. cool. And, and that's, you know, and one of the things I thought was funny is I've listened to a lot of your interviews trying to not, you know, sort of cover the same stuff and just to get a better feel for, for you in general. And one of the things you said is uh, there was UFO encounters that were in the script. They took out. I was fine with that. But yeah. one of the things that you said, one of the big qualms you had was the added line of, of what it, the on the phone were the injured coal. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, what, coal goes, I know. Yeah. I know what scares you, which was completely out of character for, you know, even yeah, it, it, it went against one of the things, you know, that I thought was so interesting about the phenomenon was that, was that it wasn't like, like to me, that feels very demonic, you know? Yes. And and by saying demonic, you, you, I'm, I'm characterizing the phenomenon as evil. Like this was, you know, overtly recognizably evil. And I don't think anything that happened in Point Pleasant or the Mothman or Injured Cold, especially, 
I don't think these things were evil. I think they were scary because they were non-human and they did not operate according to human principles. Um, what I always find the most scary is when something that isn't human is trying to come off as human and convince you that everything's fine and you don't need to be scared of me. I'm just like you. Yes. The you un know? uncanny like, value. Oh. <laughs> like to me, that's this that's way scarier than a demon who's just like, hey, I know your nightmares. You know, it's like, oh, well, OK, I know my nightmares, too. Um, <laughs> there is nothing there's nothing more frightening than the truly alien because it is truly unknowable. And and it, it and I think that makes us reflect on what we are even more starkly than than uh, images of of evil. Although yeah. I, I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy The Exorcist and, you know, uh, stories like that as much as anyone. I just, in, in this case, I wanted, I wanted to make it, I, I wanted to draw a strict thing where it's like, we're not dealing with something that's evil, it's trying to hurt us. It's just this weird, unknowable thing. That, and it's scary because we can't know it, no matter how hard we try. And no matter how hard it tries, there's this gulf. And that is scary to me. Yeah. And okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm for real, Robert. I know you're, I'm pulling a Mark Dwoodziak again here. Uh, it's still okay. I've, I've still got at least two more questions myself. Okay. And and I'm getting ready to wrap up. I don't know about Rich though. I mean, Rich, Rich has already said an hour ago, he was already getting a little bleary eyed. Yep. <laughs> well, he just needs a refill. But, uh, you know, and one of the things, and I think that the, and then I think, is it Forrest that loves this line or Scott loves to go this line in the movie where they talk about the, the window wipers perspective. And that's really the best way to sum that up is they have information that we don't have. And, and, you know, we want to connect dots and, you know, even ironically, you brought up the exorcist. Have you ever heard the story, the woman who did the voice of the demonic entity in the exorcist, her son ended up killing his family and committing suicide. And people are like, that's because the movie, but he was like, the, the story, it was in Arkansas, but the story is like he was working for a company and embezzling money or something and, you know, didn't see another way out. And but people want to sort of link stuff sometimes and sometimes stuff can be linked. And I think sometimes, you know, things, unfortunate things happen. And I mean, I mean, linking it, I, I even I mean, again, if you go into organized religion and, and you go, well, that stuff is the devil. Well, I mean, at least it's an answer, you know, and I think that comforts people as scary as the devil is. It's an answer. Yeah. As scary as extraterrestrials from another planet are, it's an answer. And if you go, well, but we don't know what it is. Maybe it's a devil or maybe it's just something that isn't communicating its its intentions clearly. You know, maybe it's it's a, a, a nuts and bolts craft filled with, you know, actual extraterrestrial biological entities, or maybe these are weird ultra terrestrials like like kids yeah. you know maybe the, all these ufos and the tic tacs that the navy sees are things that aren't fully physical all the time they come into our reality they physically manifest for a short period of time and then they and then they zip back out to wherever they came from which is not somewhere that can be physically found all right, Rob, what you got? Wrap us up with two, two, two well, rapid fire. Rapid fire. Yeah, the, the, these will be conversations probably for another time. Um, the, the, I'm, I'm planting the seeds for them. Is one of the things we're talking about with the Jeff Rice scholarship 
is actually uh, in some form or other um, having uh, a meeting, a conference, or a convention um, in Vegas. And in, 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 in my mind, Rich, I've already got you part of that. <laughs> I've already planned your role in some things. Um, but one, one of the things I think would be really fun would be actually having sort of either like a breakout room or a true scavenger hunt where we have at least 100 cosplay coal shacks running around Vegas. I think it would be amazing. And, and, and I was telling the, the, now this is the funny thing too. The name of the director at UNLV's media and journalism room, Stoker. <laughs> Stoker. And he even admits, yeah, he even admits he used to use that name for, for dates. You know, I'm, I'm related to Brom Stoker, by the way. But he is, he is a big Kolshak fan. And we're, and That's he, so you know, the, the, the ideas about the, of the reunion, not the reunion, but the convention and the, the cosplay and all that stuff. He's like, oh, Robert, that's out of my reach. Says, I, I understand. I'm not asking you to do that. That will be other things. We'll try to do along with it. But, um, but, but speaking, yeah, good, good. But speaking of um, things that I'd like to do there, which actually have to do with writing and other things that have to do with Kolshak, I, I've always wanted to ask a real writer, which is yourself, obviously just some easy questions some easy questions now are you still teaching at usc number one or ucla uh yeah i haven't not not since a year ago it's coming up right once once the classes are in person again i'll go back because i like doing the in person yeah gotcha is and is it us ucla or usc uh ucla okay that's what i thought i graduated from usc but i teach at ucla okay what is the difference, and you don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but spec script, treatment, shooting script. I think the shooting script is probably obvious. This is is there any podcast. difference? There's, there's like a whole other podcast. Okay, what, a, the, the, a treatment, a shooting script, and a what? Well, the one you hear about is a spec script. I think I know what that is. The, the speculations, when you just send in something that's like an episode of a TV show, and you want someone to have an example of your, a sample of your writing. Yeah. Um, I think that's called a spec, spec script. Yeah. You, a, a spec sample is, is yeah. And, and, and does anyone even do those anymore? Yeah, there's um, it, it sort of comes in and out of favor and um, with, with half hour comedies and hour long dramas, which are sort of parallel worlds that don't interact that much. Um, the, the fashions change a lot for for i would say the last maybe even you know 15 years in one hour drama the the value of the spec script has gone down but it's mm -hmm. back up. now there's a lot of people now who are like yeah i'm hiring you to copy my voice i'd like to see if you can copy somebody else's voice uh, no that's good i, I don't want to have to overcommit you to to those answers a shooting script is simply whatever the most recent draft is that is being shot. Right. And and then a treatment is in in my estimation uh, a form of an outline. Okay. Is a it's not written in script form. It's written in in prose form, usually for a feature film, and and it it sort of describes the story. Okay. Uh, and and it's it's a document that if you're smart 
you try to imply tone. In other words, if, if you're going to write a treatment for a horror movie, you, you should write prose that is scary. You should write right. that will make people read it on the page and go, oh, my God. Or if it's funny, it should be funny. People should laugh. Um, it's, it's not just, you know, Joe starts his new job. Joe meets the girl. They fall in love. <laughs> right. It's like, no, no, no. You're trying to give an early sense of what you want the thing to feel like. You're always trying to convey that. That's always the most important thing is, is on the page, in a script, a treatment, an outline, really try to convey through the reading experience of that document what watching the movie should feel like emotionally. Mm-hmm. You can, you, you, an outline should make you cry. If the movie's going to mm-hmm. okay. the outline should make you cry. That's gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you. I, no, I, I really appreciate that. So then this is probably a much easier one, but what is a beat? I hear you've said it a couple of times. I hear it all the time. I do actually have one angel script and, and it's from, from the, it was, I think it was the shooting script. And um, I think what was her name? Mary Smith who took over for one of the seasons and helped after the, the writer strikes. Um, and, and helped out on there. But anyway, like M-E-R-E-S, I think how she spelled her name. But anyway, I saw in there multiple times where it says a beat. And I have always thought it of it's kind of a almost like a pause for emotional in, intensity. If, yeah, if, if, if it's in a script, if it's written out, sometimes it's a parenthetical in a yes. log. It's like beat and then the dialogue, it literally just does mean a pause, a change of thought, a moment to focus on something, and then go on to the next thing. Uh, so that that is what uh, that is what that use of the word beat means. There are other uses of the word beat, but we won't get into those right now. Right, and that's, and that's where I think I got confused when I would hear them used in other places, yeah. and like, this is the emotional beat of this scene. And, you know, the, that's, so I would hear those types of things, so... Um, fantastic. Uh, I but think the hear, only other me? go ahead. What's that? You hear some music? You know, speaking of beats, are you trying to are you trying to play us off? Now, what's your last question? <laughs> I was just with you, uh, well, I lost it now that you said that. So, um, what was the last thing I was gonna say? Yeah, this is not. Yeah, you can save questions for next time. I've, I've, uh, I've got nothing to do. <laughs> he's he's begging off now. It's all coming from the guy who said, I got to go to bed. I can't stay up so really late. Is. We're, we're here. He's on the edge of his seat right now. Hey. Yeah, no, I don't have anything else. I think no, that's I'll it. Tell you, okay. I'm, I'm going ahead. We need to do, a, I would love to do a Spanish moss murder episode. It'll be a lot smaller. Yeah. A lot shorter. Um, yes. And then I would love to do a round table, have Rich, have Mark DeWoodsiak. Mm-hmm. I would love that. I haven't talked to him in 25 years we do we do love to talk to that guy but hey rich thank you so much man you've been so gracious with your time you haven't left your seat uh i probably should have been a good host i probably should have let you take a break (laughs) i got to leave i'm sitting on a toilet (laughs) you're wearing your you're wearing your spaceman pants i'm not even wearing pants oh good stay seated Hey-o. With that, uh, everybody, thank you for listening to Kolshak's Loop. Uh, you can find us on socials at, at Kolshak's Loop on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Kolshak's Loop at gmail.com. If you want to send us feedback, 
Uh, I don't have the number. I'll put that in post. But anyway, for all things Coal Shack, you can find us right here inside the loop. Rich, thank you so much, man. I'm we oh went longer than I thought, man. But I re- I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. I can't thank you enough for how gracious you were with your time. Uh, my and pleasure, all the- you guys. It was the highlight of my day. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking to you guys. And like I said, seriously, anytime you want me back, I'm back. I'll Spanish Moss Murders, Mark Lewisiak. Please, please call.